States growing, but not the traditional ones, according to the just-out U.S. Census. Utah, Idaho, Texas, all surging with population growth since 2010. Still, three states shrinking. West Virginia, Mississippi, Illinois. Why does it matter? California is still the most populous state in America. Nearly 40 million packed into our ministry's home state. But the census affects things like federal dollars and, more importantly, congressional representation. California's growth so slow it's losing a congressional seat. Texas gains two. And this could have an effect on future politics as more red states gain seats in the capital. When I think about the census... I can't help but recall the most famous count taken in Luke 2. Caesar Augustus called for a census of the empire. He was looking for bragging numbers, but God providentially used it to fulfill prophecy so Jesus of Nazareth could be born in Bethlehem. You can always count on the Lord. Welcome to Haven Today. I'm Charles Morris sharing the great story that's all about Jesus And we're in a series called Great Gospel Verses. As we thought about verses and passages for this week, we weren't just picking some of the classic gospel verses and explaining them. Not a bad thing to do. We've done it before. But I am talking about verses that bring us into the heart of the gospel, why the Lord loves us, and why the gospel is so great. And sometimes, a great gospel verse or passage is a simple question. Where can I go? It's a question David asked in the Old Testament, and it's the same question that Peter asked Jesus in the New Testament. Where else can we go, Lord? So stay with me. Let's hear the eternal words of God and be encouraged that once we have heard them, we can find hope in no one else but Jesus. And we'll also hear another excerpt from the American Gospel Christ Alone documentary that does such a fine job in presenting the true gospel found in the Bible. It also challenges many of the distorted views of the gospel held by many in so-called Christian circles. I recently asked Brandon Kimber, who made this documentary, why watching his movie was better than reading a book. So I believe that American culture's influence on the gospel, or what I call the American gospel, is a problem. It's a distorted, corrupted gospel. It's what happens when you add promises of the American dream of health and wealth and prosperity to the gospel, and it distracts completely from the person and work of Christ. Why make a movie when you could have written a book? I think films have a unique um, way of captivating an audience um, their attention where they're going to sit there through a two hour film and in and take in all that information at once. Whereas a book, you might read a little bit, put it down, come back to it a week later or something. But, um, a film can take everything from testimonies of people to preaching to visuals and animation, all these different, forms of media and communication to help explain a clear message. Filmmaker Brandon Kimber, 
talking about his DVD called American Gospel, Christ Alone. After the program, I want to send you a copy of his documentary for your gift to the ministry. Or get the five-pack bundle so you can share it with friends and family who need to know the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a great evangelism tool. So after the program, just call us at 800 654 2836. That's 865 Haven. Or visit us at haventoday.org. Watch a preview of the documentary, and you can make your gift there. Our website, once again, is haventoday.org. And now, let's start today's program with the music of Shane and Shane. You wrote the story of my
This is Haven Today, Great Gospel Verses. I'm Charles Morris. Thank you so much for joining me. And that was Psalm 139, Far Too Wonderful, by Shane and Shane. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 139. King David wrote it, but it speaks the words that any believer would want to say to the Lord. You have searched me, O Lord. You know my heart. You hem me in. You protect me behind and before me. You created my inmost being. The entire psalm centers on the intimacy that we have with our Lord. He knows us, and he made us, and he goes with us wherever we go. And that really made David ask a question, where can I go? He's been there from the beginning, and he'll be there to the end. Where can I go? He surrounds me, and he knows the deepest things about me. There is nowhere we can go to get away from the presence of the Lord. For a long time, I read this psalm in the wrong way. I thought David was trying to get away from the Lord, like Jonah was trying to flee the Lord's presence. David asked, where can I go? And he begins listing faraway places. He can't go up to the heavens. He can't go to the depths of the sea. And I thought for a long time that David wanted to just get away. But that's not it at all. David asks the question as an act of worship. And he lists far-off places because he is in awe of the Lord who loves him. And he was stunned that there literally was no place in this universe where we can get away from the Lord. Where can I go to get away from your presence? Nowhere. David never wanted to get away from God. He was captivated by the Lord's love, and that made him fall down and worship. David was not trapped by God. Instead, his awareness of God's love made him rejoice that he would never be able to leave. It reminds me of David's words elsewhere, taste and see that the Lord is good. Once we realize how good the Lord is to us, we will rejoice with David. Where else can I go? Have you ever had that experience? I have. Just east of Jerusalem, about an hour, there is a small town called Qumran. If you want to call it a town, it was where Jewish believers fled in the early days of the Roman Empire and where they went after the Romans destroyed the temple in 70 AD. If you ever visit, you'll know why. It's hilly, it's rocky, with hundreds of caves spread along the landscape overlooking the Dead Sea. It's a beautiful place, but it's also the perfect place to find safety. It was in Qumran that these ancient followers of God stashed their scriptures, the Hebrew Bible. The Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered there and confirmed that our Bible is accurate and true. But it was when I visited this place and the surrounding areas, like where David hid out in En Gedi, that I experienced exactly what David experienced in Psalm 139. I was reminded of David's question, where can I go? The Lord is everywhere, and his word has always sustained us. David knew that. He experienced it firsthand, and here I was coming to the same realization. 
David's great gospel verse in Psalm 139 was echoed years later by another. Peter, the disciple of Jesus, asked the very same question. And we read the story in the New Testament in the Gospel of John. Jesus had already fed thousands of people, and when they marveled at this miracle, he went further. He spoke to the crowds that day about Moses. Under Moses, the people of Israel received manna from heaven that fed them for 40 years as they wandered through the wilderness. But Christ on that day declared, I am the manna, or the bread, from heaven. We might not hear it, but what Jesus said was pretty radical. He wasn't just saying he had come from heaven. That's radical enough. He was saying that the manna in the wilderness was actually all about him. I am the bread of life, he said. And then he pushed it even more. Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will not be saved. A difficult word. For many Jewish believers in that day, that was the last straw. We can't eat a human being. That doesn't sound like salvation. Of course, we know Jesus was talking about receiving him by faith. But many left that day, we're told. Jesus had drawn a direct line between himself and God's provision in the days of Moses. He put himself in the middle of God's story. And he declared that unless you partake of him, you have no hope. People couldn't bear to hear this that day. So they began walking away. And as those crowds were leaving, Jesus turned to Peter and he asked him a simple question. Are you 12 also going to leave? Now, that was a difficult word to receive. Was it too much even for his closest disciples? Well, Peter's response in John 6, 68, picks up where David's great gospel verse left off. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And once we come to realize, like Peter, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Holy One of God, and that all of our Bible points us to Him, we'll find ourselves asking the same great gospel question, where else can I go? Jesus' words are words of eternal life. They preach hope and life and salvation to hungry souls. By faith we receive His grace and we're set free from our sin. Where else can we go to receive such wonderful news? There's no one else who can save us. No other news will ever be as great. In Jesus, we have a message of life that triumphs even over death itself. Taste and see that he is good. And then ask, along with King David, along with the disciple and apostle Peter, where else can we find such wonderful love? and grace. Would you join me in prayer right now? Lord, we've looked at a famous line out of a passage. David asked the question, and then Peter asked the question, where can I go, Lord? Well, Lord, may we realize that we can never outrun your love. We're covered by your blood, by the way of the cross, and that love continues to be with us even now. If we're true followers of Jesus, we believe in Christ alone and Christ plus nothing, 
then Lord, may we hang on to this truth. May we read it in our Bibles. May we live it out in our lives. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I forget you. I forget to remember all you've done. But when I'm broken and when I've chosen to hide and to run, where can I go? Cause even when the darkness covers me, I settle on the far side of the sea. No matter what I do, Title of a song by Ellie Holcomb, Can't Outrun Your Love, here on Haven Today, and Great Gospel Verses. I'm Charles Morris. One last thing about the great story that's all about Jesus. On the last day, the difference between those who enter into glory and those who do not is what they point to. Will you point to your own works or will you point to Jesus Christ? It's not a matter of being nitpicky with the Scripture. It's a matter of life and death. And that's why it's so important to get the gospel right. I remember years ago, I was asked to address a group, a large group, but they told me that they were mainly Christians. And they said, well, what are you going to preach on? And I said, well, I thought about preaching on the gospel. And they said, but we just told you that these, most of these people, we know them as very devout and sincere Christians. And I said, well, first of all, I appreciate that, but I can never assume that everyone there is truly Christian or has come to a biblical understanding of the gospel. That's number one. Number two, the gospel is not just for lost people. The gospel is for Christians. Preaching the gospel all the time, every week, means that from Genesis to Revelation, you realize the whole Bible is one unfolding story of God's love and saving grace and mercy towards sinners in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 
that the whole Bible's about him. And Luke records for us that Jesus taught them all the things concerning himself from the law, the prophets, and the writings, which were the threefold way of describing the whole Hebrew Bible of the Old Testament. Now, either he was a megalomaniac, or he is who he said he was. And the whole Bible is about Jesus. Well, I don't know about you, but if I'm a follower of Jesus, I want to follow Jesus' understanding of the Old Testament. Therefore, if we explain any text in isolation from him, we fail to say the very thing that he said it's about. He said it's about him. If you're preaching about Daniel and it's dare to be a Daniel, it's not about Jesus. If you're preaching the book of Revelation and it's about Israel and Russia, then it's not about Jesus. Though Jesus isn't the content of the whole Bible, he's the center of it all. In other words, not every story, every little thing is about Jesus or can be an analogy for him, and yet it all points towards him and his work. He's the pinnacle. So the message of the Bible is that God will save his people. The last voice was Mark Dever. He's a pastor, a Baptist pastor in Washington, D.C. The message of the Bible is that God will save his people. What a reminder. It's in the American Gospel, Christ Alone documentary. Far too often we are tempted to add something to what Jesus has done for us. You may trust him, but maybe sometimes you think that your tithing at church is also contributing to your stance before God. Well, that's Jesus plus something. Or maybe you've put your faith in the Lord, but you might also be inclined to think that your kindness to others merits your salvation too. Well, that's also Jesus plus something. And Jesus plus anything leads you to nothing. And this point is clearly challenged in the American Gospel, Christ Alone documentary. This movie takes a hard look at North American moralistic Christianity and the Word of Faith movement. But more than that, it conveys the true, life-transforming gospel of salvation through grace by faith in Christ alone. This documentary is also a great tool that you can use to share the gospel with others. And to help you do that, we have a five-pack of these DVDs that you can easily give away for a minimum gift to the ministry. Or if you just make a gift of any amount to Haven Today, we'll send you a single DVD of American Gospel, Christ Alone. Just call us right now at 800-654-2836. That number again is 800-65-HAVEN. Or watch the preview we've posted online and make your gift at haventoday.org. That's haventoday.org. And just as we go, don't forget to listen to our new podcast called Great Stories with Charles Morris. This week's episode features a full-length discussion with the late Nabil Qureshi, who's actually featured in the American Gospel documentary. Hear his story of growing up as a Muslim and then coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. It will inspire you. It will give you more faith. You can listen wherever you download your podcasts, or you can visit us at haventoday.org and find it there and look under our listen bar. I'm Charles Morris. Thanks so much for joining me. Won't you come back again tomorrow when again together 
We'll share another great Bible passage. And we'll do it in light of a great story. It's all about Jesus, here on Haven Today. your encouragement and your walk with Jesus. I'm Charles Morris with Haven Ministries, inviting you to anchor your day in God's Word. Psalm 35, verse 18 says, I will give you thanks in the great assembly. Among the throngs, I will praise you. Sounds like words from someone whose life is going pretty well, wouldn't you say? Well, in fact, this Psalm of David is one of anguish and pain when you read the whole thing. David had done nothing wrong, but his life was in great danger. He had only done good to his enemies, but they mocked and they plotted against him. And don't forget, David was a mighty warrior. He was also a leader, and it's not like he was afraid of a fight. But when faced with the hatred of his enemies, he knew better than to trust his own strength. Instead, he turned to God and gave him glory and praise. Spend more time with Jesus with Anchor Devotional. Visit GetAnchor.com.